You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to the Rule of Three podcast, where I, Robert Schmitz, Danny Meehan, and Brandon Robinson are here to give you as informed an opinion as possible about the latest ongoings of the Chicago Bears. And it's been a while since we were on the mic, but now that the Bears have finished their season losing in the playoffs to the New Orleans Saints and the Bears' final season pressers come up with Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, for better or for worse, staying on as head coach and GM we figured it's time for a season wrap-up and what a strange season it's been it's I feel like it's been three seasons in one this five and one raucous start this six and oh we suck we're terrible uh, scene and then a three-game win streak that led into the playoffs a bit of a bubble pop sure but we end where we started at eight and eight with a playoff loss this time thankfully with the seventh seed that frankly we probably would have had last year too but that's neither here nor there so how do you guys feel about it? Because I feel like this is a season where pretty much everybody's mad, and but some people are positive, and I feel like there are reasons to be both, but we'll start with you, Danny. How are you feeling? Um, Like I need a drink. <laughs> like this, this season was the absolute epitome of a roller coaster, and then a couple days ago, or was it yesterday? No, two days ago now, we had the end of season presser where the brass came out with the coaching staff and front office and essentially talked to the fan base. Like we're a bunch of morons. They didn't want to address anything regarding contracts. They didn't want to address anything regarding really anything. It was a lot of answering questions with nonsensical answers. It was kind of how lovey Smith would answer questions to the press where he would say a lot of stuff, but if you really went back and recanted everything, he said a whole lot of nothing. And it's just frustrating because they clearly were trying to go, for lack of a better term, all in on this year by investing in Robert Quinn and going to get Nick Foles and this, that, the other. And they're like, we're not an eight and eight team. And then everything played out and they were an eight and eight football team that were probably a little bit lesser than because, and even George said it in the, in the press conference, they finished below 500 this year. They were an eight and nine football team when it was all said and done. Hey, at least for the at, at least for the first time, I felt like they actually got a couple of wins against teams that mattered. For the last or in 2019, since 2018, basically they hadn't beaten anybody. Like we didn't have that Rams game, right? We didn't have that game where we beat somebody that was actually pretty good. So at least we stole a win against Tampa Bay and went to overtime against New Orleans. But even those like you're talking about, Danny, are really thin moral victories. They're they're only for the shiniest of sunshine blowers to wave their pom-poms and say, yay, go Bears, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I get, and I've always had an issue with moral victories because it doesn't get you anything. It's right. like when people, it's like I'll use a really 
not not an equivalency, but kind of like how people were talking about Tim Tebow when he came out of the draft. He couldn't throw. He couldn't read a defense. He couldn't do anything. But all you heard about was his leadership and how great a leader he was and his intangibles. Well, at a certain point, the intangible and the moral victory doesn't matter. What are the tangibles of the season? And this year it was kind of just the defense was awesome, then it was bad, and then it showed up for the playoff game. The offense gave you – the most historic four game stretch in team history with four straight 30 point games. And then you realize they were doing it against a bunch of, of the late Doug Buffon's words, a bunch of t- tomato cans. They didn't matter. <laughs> who, who cares? <laughs> like, Ooh, you did it against the 28th, the 30th, the 32nd and the 18th ranked defenses. <whistles> Yay. It's like uh, you guys know that gift where the dude is sitting down with the glitter falling on him and he's just stone faced. Yes. The That's smelling ex- bee one. Yeah, that's exactly who it is. It's just cool. <laughs> who cares? What about you, Brandon? How do you feel? Uh, I don't know. I it, it's it's hard to it's hard to feel any way just because I felt like it was expected coming into the year. I di- I didn't think that they had the talent on offense to really succeed in any way. Like I knew Nick Foles wasn't very good. I knew Mitchell Trubisky wasn't any good. Um. So, but it's just everything with like after the season, like firing Chuck Pagano, which I would he say retired. he retired, but he was, he was fired. He was pushed out, which I would say is unwarranted. And then keeping Ryan Pace, it just, it, it really puts a stain on the season, even though I don't think the season was that bad because it was expected, but like everything after the season, like, basically saying that this is acceptable because Ryan Pace has been here now. This is going to be his, what, seventh year? And he's going to have absolutely nothing here, and they're just going to bring him back. And here's the most damning thing about it. We're six years going into the seventh year of Ryan Pace. Mm -hmm. And they're touting him as growing into the role. I have an issue here. (laughs) If you're growing into a role you've had now for six years – it probably means you suck at your job. That's a really nice way of saying you're bad at this. And we, we're still doing the same song and dance. And then we get this whole thing of Ryan Pace is in charge of football operations. Cool, then make him the president of football. Oh, well, no, we have a president. That's Ted Phillips. So the thing we've been told now for the better part of two decades is Ted has nothing to do with football until now we know until it's something to do with football. And Ted doesn't know anything about football. George doesn't know anything about football. Ryan Pace is clearly some sort of salesman that he can sell you on whatever he believes in. And he's got tremendous hair, which I'm sure takes away from like when you look at his face and he's talking. And so if he's not good at his job, but he can sell you on that, he's good at his job. And you and the two, the two at the top have no idea what good and bad football look like outside of wins and losses on the field. And eight and eight is technically a 500 season. What are we doing here? Like, he, he's, in, he's ingratiated himself to the family. He's endeared himself to them. It's the same thing Ted did to get to this point when he worked his way up through, through the organization. Is he pro- could he potentially be fired next year? Absolutely. Could he also be extended because the family likes him and he spearheaded the Palace Hall renovations and he did all this stuff for them? And he's, he's clearly good at selling what he does. But there's a lack of expectation here. You have the most 
championships in NFL history with nine or second most, I think first or second most, I can't remember the number, but you don't act like it. You're happy being a mediocre football team. And they keep citing this rivalry with the Packers. And the fact is, especially when you go look at Jack Silverstein's Twitter thread from a couple days ago after the press conference, they're more the Detroit Lions than they are the Green Bay Packers. You've got seven playoff appearances in the last 28 years. There is no expectation of winning because the fans keep showing up and because we, they treat us like we're stupid and they get away with it. So it's funny you say that. So to, to try to cover the gamut, I'm more with Brandon, Danny. Like as I sat down and tried to assess this season, like especially once Tariq Cohen went down, especially once James Daniels went down, eight and eight feels like a disappointed but not surprised to me. Like I thought the five and one start might be a nice sign of things to come, but then regression happened, a horrific right. six game win streak that Nagy deserves a lot of criticism for, for a whole lot of reasons. And sure, the offensive line was out of sorts and everybody in the building in Hallis Hall wanted to make sure we remembered that the offensive line was out of sorts during that six game losing streak. But even so, not being able to line up correctly, like that's inexcusable. You can't right. do that in the NFL. And- and I guess that was the other sticking point for me is them trotting out this six game losing streak. Like it was a point of rallying. You lost six straight games. There's no moral victory in that. You were getting your ass kicked for six weeks by nuts or by teams that shouldn't be just destroying your offense. The Tennessee game being a great example. Exactly. I don't know. And I'm not trying to get on my soapbox here. But it, it's something like one of those things for me where you're sitting back and you're w- listening to it and you're trying to remain objective, but they keep speaking to you and they keep acting as if like they have, they almost like don't have a pulse on what's going on. Well, let me hit you with an alternate opinion, right? Think about it this way. This is at least how I've tried to perceive it. Okay. So you're George McCaskey and football to you is literally your livelihood, right? But more importantly, you're actually in the building. I can tell you, I've never been to Hallis Hall and I don't know if I'll ever get the chance to, if Ryan Pace has anything to do with the team, because they keep that thing tightened down like Fort Knox would love to, but just don't know if I'll ever get the chance. On the other hand, George McCaskey's in Hallis Hall all the time. And Ryan Pace renovated the snot out of it. He brought simple things, things that we consider standard, right? Like nutrition science, things that are at the collegiate level have bloomed up to the college or into the NFL. He brought all of that to Chicago. So from George's perspective, Pace, and I I know what you're going to say, that this is all very presidential, but remember that to George, when he talks about how Pace is building a championship organization, I think he means everything other than the team. If that makes sense, like right, no, and I get what you're saying. All the championship and, and, stuff, and he and he also sees the the culture that they had that they didn't have under Tressman or Fox or anything, where the guys like each other, and that's and, cool. And they can lose six games and not just crater. I mean, bad teams are not killing the Texans, not grinding right, it out, but, but just you, smoking. You can't them. tout a culture that's not I, winning. I agree. I, I just it it sounds like you're it sounds like you're happy for being. Eh. well they're they're not bad they're not good they're in the blob right they're they're a blob team 
So what I'm trying to think about is when I was listening to McCaskey and the rest of them talk about this, Danny, it, it was funny because like at least what I had understood was the media did a great job. Massive kudos to the Chicago media. They asked all of the tough questions fans Absolutely. wanted to hear. And the trouble is, I think we can all agree there weren't good answers. Like they had to come up with answers, but they weren't going to say, you know what, Ryan, get out of here in the middle of the press conference. So they had to come up with some kind of way to not sound like they shrugged their shoulders and said, I don't, I don't know. I just, I think he can do better this time in, in reference to Pace and Nagy. And so I, I have seen the presser personally as a bit of a lightning rod of frustration, but I, I think it was a no way out scenario for those in charge. And I'm with you. Seven years is a dang long time for a GM. Yeah. The only pittance that I am hopeful for, hear me out. I do not think this, I do not expect this. I am hopeful, right? Is that most of the time when a GM makes a move, he really only understands the consequences of it. What would you guys say? Two years, three years later, like you pick a draft pick and you really understand what that draft pick did or became about three years later, free agency signings, maybe get a a slightly shorter timetable, sometimes one to two years. But the point is, is that pace has basically been through three bears cycles. And if he changes a lot, then sure. Yeah. If he becomes a more data minded person, if he goes or goes in a more offensive direction in a league that clearly values offense, I don't think that this can fail because I don't know how pace looks at the bears right now and doesn't see colossal failure. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So if he somehow just repeats what he's doing, this is abysmal. And I agree with any bears fan that's frustrated and angry that, uh, that he might have the chance to do that. But I also honor the idea that my hope would be that a human being met with such colossal failure wouldn't do the same thing. You know what I mean? So Hopefully, That's like the, the Roquan pick, they change from this toolsy project or type selection in the first round to a good football player, and Pace can move off. Brandon, I see you get your hand up. What's going on? Yeah, my problem with that is where the team needs to go is in the opposite direction of what Pace needs to do to keep his job. So this year he went he went all in to try to try to win this year as a win now team. And that didn't go well. So basically they're in an even more win now situation going into next year, but this team needs a short rebuild. And so there's no expectation of a rebuild and you just expect pace to continue to kick money down the road because that's the only way that he's going to keep his job because that's the only way they're going to be decent this year. And the other part of that is Brandon, the way he's operating is the same way Mickey Loomis operated in New Orleans. The difference is Mickey Loomis has an all-time coach and an all-time quarterback to, to suffice the rebuild and redoing it again. He's committing all the same sins. He doesn't value picks. He doesn't value the cap, and he keeps kicking the can down the road. Well, when you don't have the Hall of Famers at the helm, it doesn't matter. And clearly, to me at least, They knew they needed to make a change. They clearly did. When you have two days worth of meetings to discuss the future of the team, that clearly shows you know something needs to change. You just don't want to do it because you like them. And again, the the other side of the coin is that I think a lot of Bears fans, myself included, probably don't want to admit, they may not know how to get anybody better than what they got. Right. Because they don't know football. 
they don't understand other than the fact that George is a fan. Like you said, he, he, he didn't understand that them being brought into the 21st century of football was something everyone else did at two, in 2001. Like they were already getting dietitians and nutritionists and real strength and conditioning and new modern sciences. The bears were brought into the modern century 20 years too late, 15 years too late. Mm-hmm. So it's like the bar is just so low for what they expect as a culture and what to be as a modern football organization that they don't know what a real one looks like. And then he's citing talking to other owners. What are other owners going to tell you when you're competing against them? I mean, it, it, it sounds stupid. <laughs> At least really no. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, <laughs> Maybe one of them actually would give you decent advice because maybe they're an AFC team. You know what I mean? Because he didn't tell us who, like, all three of the people he seemed to refer to were talking he, to. He but. referred to, I think it was the Arizona Cart, the Cardinals owner was one of them, the Bidwells. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at a certain point, the Bidwells got Kyler Murray. You don't. It right. doesn't matter what your culture is. But it's funny because, like, then you look at the rest of the team and I'll harp on the offensive line until it gets annoying. I understand it may sound make me sound fairly meatball-y, but at the end of the day, when I watched the Saints game back, uh, there were a lot of things that stuck out to me. The offensive line was one of them because in Chicago, so I am a big believer in pass-first offense, right? West Coast, whether it's West Coast, vertical threat, or whatever you want to call your passing offense, I love passing the ball that said there's sort of an asterisk that it can't be the leader of your team without a top eight quarterback or one of those quarterbacks that can shoulder the whole load the Aaron Rodgers the Russell Wilson the Patrick Mahomes like we get it we get it we get it we've all heard this thing so with that in mind something the Bears could do to make a lot of change is to beef the offensive line because if you're able to run the ball and protect a quarterback regardless of who it is you have more options against a team like the Saints where if you saw what I saw Danny the Bears couldn't do play action passing for a lot of reasons and those reasons were all over the place some wide receiver separation was a problem I mean we can just call what it is Robert the offense sucked right and it sucked (laughs) in part because they couldn't run the ball five on four like four Saints D linemen against the entire Bears offensive line with no linebacker help lost yards consistently or at least gained less than two and that's unacceptable in any offense that can't have their quarterback just go Aaron Rodgers mode and carry the whole load and it's something that I want to see the Bears address going forward uh, regardless of who's at quarterback you know and I'm with you I'm, I'm the I'm I've I'll wholly own that I'm probably the more old school of the three of us on this show but I'm also in the camp that at a certain point you also need to go get real weapons like real damn weapons. Darnell Mooney's a great story. He'll probably be a really good football player for a really long time. But when you're citing a fifth round rookie developing into something that you never thought he would be versus actually taking a second or the first round wide receiver, when you are trying to make your quarterback better, that doesn't matter. And then it's like, you took the wrong kind of tight end for the modern NFL. You took an inline blocking tight end who can't change direction. And you had to wait till he was forced into the offense to start making making any sort of headway versus a guy who actually can be a move tight end and then the whole damning thing is a guy that we all just thought was a nothing Trey Burton went and caught six touchdowns this year 
And he's a guy that can actually move around and do stuff. Brandon and I have never thought Trey Burton was a nothing in 2018. 2019, he was terrible. But I'm he sure Brandon hurt. Right. He was hurt. Like, uh, yeah, he was. But, but I'm saying, you guys see what I'm saying, though, labor. right? At a certain point, totally. you have to, if you want to be the modern offense, you got to do what modern offenses do. Yeah. And kind of like the, the equivalent I'm going to use for for what they were talking about with the with Hallis Hall. Let's use your team in Texas there, uh, Robert. Oh, boy. Dallas has been at the forefront of everything in terms of modernizing and being ahead of everybody. Guess what they still don't do? They still don't win football games. Mm-hmm. And going so back who to cares? And going back to something Brandon said, you're right, Brandon. Like, if I was a quote-unquote smart owner, let's pretend Robert owned the Bears, which would be a disaster. But let's pretend I did, because I would meddle like crazy. I I couldn't help myself. But so, if I owned the Bears, this next year, like, if Pace wanted to keep his job, I would lay out very specific expectations, and none of them would be related to wins. Which, Bears fans, you might hear that and go, what? And it would be all about... Can we get the cap a little bit healthier? Can we build a successful foundation on offense in reference to the rest of the NFL? Like we've got to rank here offensively. And can we like draft young players, keep our picks if you trade up, you're fired kind of thing. Like uh, where the the bars and the success of this next season almost it can't be about a championship because there's got to be no way the bears can actually strike at a championship this next season, but they can set the table for a quicker return to glory. We hope, I mean, we've been hoping for what, 40 years since 85, but uh, they can set the table decently in 2021 if they play their cards right. The problem is that it's a quick fall off the mountain if they play any of them. And I'm I'm pretty sure Brandon would agree with this. This is why the contract lengths matter so much. If he had three years, he could in theory do that. If he only has two years, what is he going to be inclined to do? He's going to destroy everything. He's going to he's going to destroy future draft capital. He's going to kick money down the road. He's going to extend Hicks. He's going to extend Fuller. He's going to move Max money. He's going to move Jackson's money. And they're going to have nothing going for them going forward. It's it's just one of those things like and he said as much. He said in the press conference, I I've got the I that they said he's in charge of football operations. Okay, that's all I needed to hear. Yep. It's exhausting. I mean, the worst part, you talked about this. I have no idea how to interpret this, to be honest. So I've seen something in the Windy City Gridiron comment section that has actually sparked a lot of interest to me. They talk about where when you say Trubisky isn't very good, you need to come up with a proper replacement for him because replacing a quarterback is never an easy feat. And I'm sure GM is really similar. Like, it's easy for us to say, you have failed as a GM. Where is our Brett Veach? But then you go find the Brett Veach and it's kind of like finding a kicker. Jake Elliott is, is still hard to find, you know? And when you find him, that's a good thing. Like that UDFA guy that comes out of nowhere and kicks a bunch of field goals. It's simple, but it's difficult. And the bears prove for four years, it's just not as easy as sign random person, kick lots of field goals. They ended up finding Cairo Santos off of a guy who came back from injury, which is extremely uncommon for kickers to my understanding. So when it comes to GM, I'm sure there is a little bit of that McCaskey attitude that says, oh goodness, we'd have to go and hire someone. 
I don't know if we're going to hire anybody good. Like, what if they come in and they just screw up too? That doesn't fix anything. But I'll also agree with anybody that says that's a coward's attitude. And that if you're not willing to hold people accountable, how will anything ever change? I hear all of it. I completely understand. I've been apathetic. I've said this so many times. Apathetic on whether Nagy stays or goes. Watching the New Orleans game, the game plan doesn't look, to me at least, as bad as the offensive output says, partially because of quarterback errors in the very early part of the game, but then Mitch gets it together, and then it becomes an issue because your second or your number two wide receiver got himself ejected for a nothing penalty. You took a very weird call in the red zone that should have been a third and five. Now it's a third and 20. Like Some of it was happenstance. Some of it was weird stuff. Some of it was your offensive line got destroyed. Like, I think we can agree the Bears need talent. The or Nagy needs to perform. Like, we do need results. We can't sit here on podcasts saying, you know, it could have gone better if the Bears were just a little better on offense. And they and the GM needs to give them that time, or GM needs to give the offense enough talent where they can undeniably prove it one way or another. And if I could just start another conversation, losing Allen Robinson is going to be a massive step backwards instead of a step forwards. That if we lose Allen Robinson, I don't know how the Bears in 2021 get any better. I don't know how it's possible. I don't even think that it's going to be like a question because he's coming back. I don't think he's leaving. They they both they both need him so bad to keep their jobs, and all they have to do is tag him. Like I don't think there's really anything complicated about it. I think the only reason we're talking about it is because people keep writing articles about the top free agents. That, but in and, all reality, all they have to do is stick the tag on him, and it's like tag you're it. Like you're not going anywhere. And, and he other, wants he doesn't want to play on the tag. So all they have to do is offer him an extension, and he's going to be put in a situation where it's either play on the tag or, or sign. sign a really good extension. Yeah, and the other part that's getting lost on this is is he upset and mad? Yes, but he also wants to be in Chicago. He likes it here. Who wouldn't? It's the third largest market in the nation. You've got everything at your disposal in this city. Except a quarterback. Except a quarterback. Which Pretty is... important for wide receivers. <laughs> well, not if you're Allen Robinson, who's been doing it without oh, a quarterback goodness. since college. So that's neither here nor there. But I just I just don't understand where, where this all changes. Because if I were to sit both of you down and say, of these three, the three main guys we tend to talk about, Pace, Negi Trubisky, who would you say is most likely to be here long-term? I know who, I know who I would say, who would you say, Robert? Um, so it's complicated because the words out of my mouth would be probably Nagy, but if pace goes, I don't know how Nagy sticks. So it's hard to cut that head off the snake and have the body survive. And that's sort of what coaches can be sometimes, but I expect Trubisky to leave this off season. I can lay out an argument for why it just, the money's not going to work right. Tr- or Chicago would have to pay him like a starter. He's going to get backup money somewhere else. And that's more pliable. Like why would he stay for a, a minimum four year deal here when he could get a six year deal in Tennessee and potentially prove himself you guys get the idea. But then if Pace is fired, I don't know why a new GM wouldn't want their new coach unless Nagy distinguished himself, which he hasn't done yet. So I would say Nagy, but you get the idea. Right. So I think the issue that I'm coming into is I think the most likely to be retained long-term is Nagy or not Nagy is, is Pace because of everything he's done. And I think that they view him almost as a family member at this point. 
Now, I could be proven wrong on that. I hope I'm proven wrong on that at some point in time. The, the, so let me rephrase the or let me change the question. Who deserves most to stay of the three? I don't think any of them are like great. Like, and I'm the I used definitely to be like Nagy in that situation. It's definitely Nagy. It's it's just at a certain point you got even he to be totally fair to any fan listening has massive question marks. Like the biggest problem, at least what I've seen, if I could just list out a bias that I've had about Nagy and like, I figured out how to phrase it best, right. There's a lot of reasons to look at the offense and say, what could the coach have done in a game like uh, in new Orleans? And then you look at a game like Tampa Bay and a couple others, including the first new Orleans game. And you say, how did he take those pieces and create a team that either won the game could have scored 37 against Tampa had the had execution been good and so on and so forth. You've heard this all before, but the difference is I used to think that that made Nagy good, but really all it does is it means Nagy doesn't get evaluated in that moment. And I need to see him with what he considers regular pieces. And I don't even know what those are. Cause you can't, you can't evaluate somebody off an offense with 11 all pros on it. You know, that's not right. fair, but at the same time, you look at Arizona, they're so much more talented than the bears are. And they're like 20th ranked in offense last I checked. And that matters at some point that the rest of the NFL has gotten what we would all consider above average talented because our uh, probably, probably average offensive talent is actually not near as average as we think it is when you look at it, especially with Cohen out, which I keep forgetting he's on the team because we haven't talked about him in three months, but that was a huge loss in week three. In my well, opinion. I mean, to kind of your point, every one of these, the main three that they all seem to be tied together at the hip, you know, Pace, Negi, Trubisky, is they all have glaring warts. And the more you start to sit down and look at Negi, a lot of them, for as much as he is the most deserving of the three to stay long-term, is also probably the second least likely to stay long-term, because I think Mitch has gone this offseason as well. But you start factoring in, we, it's like, what what's going on? Why is there why is there disciplinary issues? Like, why are you like this? I don't think the, the Anthony Miller thing with seed with Chauncey Gardner Johnson's as big a deal as other people think it is, but it's the second time, right? Why is it happening twice? Why are you continually out of line? Why are you continually seeing quarterbacks realign the wide receivers mid set? It's like, there's no accountability within the, within the, within the locker room. It's weird. Like, and he's a great coach and the players clearly like him and clearly respect him. Except the ones that don't like we see with Kyle Long, which I, we don't know how many of those exist. Right. Know? And then you get the, the, the really nuanced Trubisky quote of, we need to improve locker room culture. And it's like, Oh, <laughs> right. There's, there are clearly like some, uh, at least from what I've seen, Danny, there are some real like winning will fix everything like kinks in this bears mm-hmm. locker room that all will come to a head one way or another in 2021, right. either collapsing or we'll build a house, but uh, right. we'll have to see. But I think my biggest issue personally with Negi is the overall stubbornness behind everything. Really good coaches and really good play callers adapt everything to the talent they have. Right. For so long, he was trying to do the square peg round hole thing. Do you mean 2019 or including 2020? Even parts of 2020. Which parts? Like, uh, not to grill you. I've just heard no, this no. A lot. I guess I guess it was just like more or less the complete stark change in offense from when they benched Trubisky to when they 
brought in like fulls and it was like clear that you didn't have the line to do what you wanted to do you probably should have just continued what you were doing initially as frustrating as it was so you would have put fulls in a play action based mobile quarterback offense not i wouldn't have done all the boots but i would have tried to you know that's what <laughs> i what i would have right done. but I, i'm more saying just it's not there was no good off. answer no there's no good answer exactly. for what he should have done but this is it's just one of those things like I clearly, I after about the first quarter of the season, was out on him as a play caller. He, mm-hmm. There was no rhythm, no feel. There was nothing. The, the play design was fine. Everything, people were open, whatever. But you can't just throw darts at a play card. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it clearly got a little better under Laser. I don't think he's anything, whatever. He's fine. He's, I think he's, ooh, he is run-of-mill play caller. Here comes Doug. Here he comes. Jets oh. jobs filled. Here comes Doug. No. <laughs> Peterson, for those who are wondering. It makes that, you wonder. That would be wildly interesting. Isn't it wildly and isn't it also kind of funny how easy he makes himself to fire if he fire if he hires Doug Peterson? Yeah. <laughs> he makes himself exuberantly hard to fire or easy to fire mm-hmm. if you bring in that guy who's won a Super Bowl. Right. But either way, we got to take a second for the sponsors. We're a little late on this. Sponsors. But we, exactly. We'll come right back. And at this point, guys, I think we can move on to trying to see what we can do in the offseason to right this ship and see if we can't get it in the right direction. Sound oh good? Sound good. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And we are back with the Rule of Three podcast. Myself, Robert Schmitz, talking with Danny Meehan and Brandon Robinson as we wrap up this Chicago Bears 2020 season that was, then wasn't, was again, and then was not once again. And we can get on, or there are a lot of ways to fix this team, but at least if I was going to start, and then I'll kick it over to y'all, I think a lot of it has to do with offense. It sounds simple and silly, but I do think a lot came back to the quarterback consistently both Foles and Trubisky had major um I'm, I'm going to call them scheme deficiencies which is to say with Nick Foles and a not so great offensive line in front of him he's easy to pressure because he's not going to move out of your way so they just blitzed him like crazy and he ended up getting injured on account of it as the line continued to depreciate and depreciate depreciate first it was James Daniels getting hurt then it was Cody Whitehair then it was for crying out loud Jason Spriggs gets hurt Sam Mustafer gets hurt like your backups of your backups end up getting hurt such that right guard Alex Bars plays his first game at center in the NFL level for crying out loud and we see was it Hambright for the first first and only mm-hmm. game of the season but you guys get the idea if I was going to look at this team between Foles who had these blitz related issues and Mitch who even at least based on what I saw Danny you and Brandon can tell me otherwise but 
I've been loving the fact that Mitch has been taking this one read offense with confidence in hand. He sees his read, he throws it. And if it's a tight window, well, then it's a tight window. And he just guns it in anyways. But he was extremely gun shy on, at the very early game on, or on what was it, last Sunday. And I really feel like it affected the Bears game plan because they tried some simple passing concepts, like a spot dig, like a play action or curl route, like a couple other standard West Coast things with like a pick play for Allen Robinson and Mitch was late or didn't throw to all three of them ended up costing the bears a fourth down almost threw a pick in the red zone. And it really seemed to affect play calling in a way that if I was a defensive coach, he's just not that complicated to scheme against because relatively speaking, you know exactly what Mitch can and can't do with no surprises whatsoever. So with that in mind, I do think that there's some truth to the idea that if the bears brought in, I'll name some random names guys. Like, if they brought in a Dak Prescott, a Deshaun Watson, obviously those would be amazing. But even simple guys like Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's going to hit that one read and he's going to hit it as hard as he can. And if he throws an interception, then he throws an interception. Caution to the wind, confidence in an all-time high. Or Derek Carr, who's going to go through his one, two, three read, and that's going to be what he does. Or even a draft pick, like potentially Trey Lance, who fits this McVay-esque offense really well. Brandon, you've talked about that, where a rookie could run this offense better than a lot of offenses in the NFL because it's a lot more similar to what goes on at the collegiate level or a Mac Jones who's a more Foles type would definitely prompt the Bears to upgrade their offensive line I've got no issue with that and could be a little bit more productive than we anticipate I think a change at quarterback could spell really good things for this offense because it's majorly limited whether it's an offensive line plus quarterback issue or a quarterback plus coach issue or all of the things a change at quarterback helps a lot more than meets the eye in my opinion it's just got to be the right guy can't be like a jimmy garoppolo you know well that's who you're probably getting (laughs) i i think i think they have to figure out where exactly they want to take the offense. This is obvious, but it didn't happen last year. Where they want to take the offense before they decide who they're going to go for. Because they absolutely are right. This year, but then decided that they wanted to run their outside zone McVay offense. And he was just probably the worst guy on the market for that offense. And so hopefully they continue running what they were running this year because it it did simplify things for the quarterback and it you have you have to assume you're not gonna get a dynamic quarterback this offseason because they're really hard to find and if you do find one then you can totally scrap everything you're running before because it, it just doesn't matter they like the top quarterbacks that like they fill your needs on offense so i like i i'm fine with jimmy garoppolo it's just he's jimmy in a too. he's in a tough spot to where I feel like they're going to do exactly what they're going to do, what they did with Foles, but it's going to be even worse. They're going to, they're going to trade a second round pick and some chains for Jimmy G for absolutely. No, Jimmy's going to get cut and they'll sign him. I don't think so. They have no, they have no reason to cut him. Sure. They do $22 million. Yeah, but they can just move on to him. I think they'll cut him. That's me. I wouldn't trade anything for him. Cause I've even said that about the Jags too. And then they got, and Bears got fleeced by him. (laughs) <laughs> well, I think the difference is the Jags owed a lot of guaranteed money. They don't owe Jimmy any guaranteed money. They can cut him scot-free and get all their money back. The, the, thing, the thing is, is the Bears have to sit there and wait around for them right. to potentially Absolutely. Cut him. The, the Do you think they're going to do that? 
I think there's zero chance of them doing but to, that. To your point, though, Brandon, they do have to decide what they want to do. And this is where when you keep everybody, you know what Neggy wants to do. He doesn't want to do the McVay thing. He doesn't. He's Andy Reid. I don't know. He's I don't Andy Reid. I, I, I think you do. I, in Danny, your heart of hearts, you do. I in know. my heart of hearts, I want to see the Bears run the Chiefs offense. I do. And I think Nagy likes scoring, you know? So I do think he believes in the, in the like, Reed-like concept. But I'm sure he also agrees, you need your Alex Smith. You need your Pat Mahomes. You need the guy who's going to be I agree. the foundation of that offense. I, or, or you can't do it. And I, I agree. So but like I think I know what he wants to do. We right. know what he wants to do. He's a quarterback himself. He played quarterback in the AFL. Oh, he yeah. was really good at it there too. He wants to he throw still the drops some dimes in practice, by the way, like going out and to training camp two years ago. McVay. And the other issue is as much as I do agree that he did adopt some concepts from McVay. A whole he lot. was more, he, but he was running the same eight plays. Cause that's all Mitch could run. Well, I, yeah, I mean, it's so simple, right? Where right. I was, I was talking to Bill Remember, about this. I, I actually ran it by you before I tweeted it. Mm-hmm. He's Herman Boone. So, <laughs> I run six plays, split Nova can't give it time. It always works. Except it, in the NFL, you can't just run six to eight plays. Shocker. I know against Green Bay and the Saints, it doesn't work. But one thing I was talking to Bill about that I have to fit in this podcast because something came out of my mouth that I have to toot my own horn a little bit. I was really impressed with, and I'd never put two and two together. I've heard a lot of people talk about how Nagy's predictable. Have you guys heard that? He's Mm -hmm. predictable. But I've also heard about how people talk about how Nagy doesn't have an offensive identity. He has no offensive identity. It's been three years. How do we not have an offensive identity? Which is funny because I could look both of you guys in the eyes at anybody on the internet and say, I've seen an offensive identity from Nagy. It tends not to work. But suddenly it dawned on me that I actually think predictability and identity are the same thing. It's just a matter of whether those plays work. We would say the Tennessee Titans have an identity. They hammer you with Derrick Henry and they hit you with play action. It is as predictable as it gets. And if Tashawn Gibson, who I can't believe we haven't talked about how all pro Tashawn Gibson made an appearance on Sunday and was just playing <laughs> lights out from the safety position. But if he showed us anything, it's that Drew Brees is equally predictable and that Saints offense, like, you know, they're going to run eight or 12 to 15 yard dig routes with Michael Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, and whoever their guy is. So when you see those guys spreading your zone out, your safety needs to know digs coming. If he beats me over the top, he beats me over the top, but Drew's not throwing 40 yards anymore. And they broke on those balls really really well these tendencies that tons of offensive offenses have the ones that get praised for them are the ones that score anyways despite having clear tendencies yes i was gonna say couldn't you argue though that's the that's the lack of like accountability and attention to detail though on their part that yeah you can do you can do these things this could be your identity but because you just don't do it well no one cares depends right it's it's one of those weird things where it's like i wouldn't ask a 45 year old man who's never met a com- or never seen a computer in his life to code so if it's the wrong fit using mitch who i think is a much more one read play action quarterback at his best in a west coast you couldn't get a worse fit right 
So you, there are some things where scheme just isn't going to be there. But at the same time, all these nine guys do one things and two, one guy's just lost and two guy and another guy thinks it's a different play. Like that kills any offense. And you're right. That part's on the coach and trying to sift through the tape and figure out which is which has been a disaster because you could make a very strong argument that this was the worst Nick Foles stop he's had in his like five stop career. And that included a 2016 St. Louis team that was just awful so how did it get there and what's the answer there because we knew who Nick Foles was and he came here and put up some of his worst efficiency numbers ever and while there are reasons for it yeah I agree with you that like there's a lot of questions that need to be answered if it's me I basically strip the defense for parts and I dump everything into the offense because if you can't find a foundation on offense in today's NFL you can't get anything and with holding being called the way that it is with a lot of defensive penalties being called the way that they are I would rather be an average to bad defense with a solid offense than the other way around and this year just drove that point home for me oh and now they got to worry about replacing Chuck and the other part about it is people don't understand that assistant coaches no matter where they are in the league Chicago or otherwise they typically operate on three-year deals that means Jay we know Jay Rogers out of contract next week he's done so and he's probably not staying for for a defensive line position he's probably getting a DC job somewhere so unless you're promoting him he's gone Brandon what do you think about that <laughs> I loved your take I, on this I, I'm not, I'm I, not I, saying, I wish everybody I, would, I wish everybody could see Robert's face when he when he said that he's re, he was really sly about it because he knows exactly and, and how I you, feel about I, it. I already know who I would hire I would hire James Betcher because I think he's a really good defensive coordinator he took a year off as anyone would after that New York Giants thing under Pat Shermer that's its own can of worms though but the other part about that is if you do that your best corner probably doesn't matter anymore because Betcher's not running off, man. He's just not. Right. But I would look you dead in the eyes, Dan, and I would say if you could get a third-round pick for Kyle Fuller, you send him off. Yep. Oh, yeah, absolutely. See you later. Bye. There's (laughs) a lot of this stuff that seriously, like Bears fans, it, it breaks my heart to say this, but the Bears are in a very tough position and I do think the defense is going to get a little worse before it gets better, not just because it's going to learn a new defense, but also because at some point Hicks is going to be past his prime. And uh, frankly, we might already be getting there. At some point, Mac's going to start his downslide and Quinn's probably already started his downslide. The turf thing doesn't help. And Kyle Fuller is getting there too. Like there are a lot of old players, Danny Trevathan. I do think he took a big step backwards this year. Not as big as some people want to say, but he was not 2019 Danny Trevathan or 2018 Danny Trevathan and the coordinator thing doesn't help because again I want to kick it over to Brandon he's got so much more knowledge about this than I do that bringing up a defensive line coach as defensive coordinator has more flaws than you'd think of because because like it, there's there's just much mystery to it like he like he's he's working the D line he's not working the coverages and in today's NFL, the, like the back unit, the coverages mean a whole lot more than the front. And so, like, like you know what he can do with the front, but you just have no idea what he can do with, with the coverages. And so, like, it, it just doesn't make sense for like when you're trying to win right now. You, why you would just like instead of just letting like cutting your losses and letting him leave, you just promote him to DC. Like it's just taking 
on way too much risk. And yeah, I like him. And I would, I would love for him to get an opportunity as the DC. I just don't want to be the one to take it. If I'm being honest, Brandon, is it kind of like how uh, in the modern day NFL, most offensive coordinators and even some head coaches like Matt Nagy come from a quarterbacking background because the idea is the quarterback's the most important position on the offense. You have to set that up to succeed first and you don't see as many like running back coaches coming in as an offensive coordinator in that same way. Modern defensive coordinators have to come from a defensive back background because if you don't set your DBs up to succeed, you're probably losing. Is that fair to say? Right. Exactly. That's actually perfect. But I don't, I don't actually think that the, NFL coaches like the the people hiring these DCs are even thinking this right now because you just don't see it around the league. Mm-hmm. They're hiring a bunch of veteran DCs that just like cover three. <laughs> right. And they're they're doing they're doing the Seattle Seahawks thing. They're so much like, cover three. Like, oh, you run the Seattle cover three? All right, we'll bring you in. When the fact of the matter is the the, the Seahawks didn't reinvent the wheel when they did it. They just had the talent. They had Chancellor and they had Thomas and they had Sherman. They had legitimately like six six Hall of Famers on that defense. Yeah. So it's just one of those things. Like I I I see I see with what you're saying, Brandon. And the the reason part partly why I like the better hire is because he is from the Todd Bull school of thought. So he does understand coverages to an extent. And he is good at what he does. Is he gonna be great? I don't know. He was off he his defenses were not good in, in New York, but only time will tell if he is hired because we could see Rogers promoted. We could see Sean to say promoted. We have no idea. Right now. I, I actually like the idea of better. I have to do some more work on him. And um, I, he's, I'm, like I said, if you like Todd Bowles, stuff, you're going to love better. It's the same dude. So we right. know under. And that's right. that right there, Danny, honestly, like we could go on for another four hours, probably speculating about the off season, but I think that's a good place to stop. So we can come back next week and do exactly what Brandon said, put in that little bit more work, trying to study because I, I know I, I don't mean to be this guy, but I am going to call some people out. It is a, it is a habit for everybody to just go search 10 names and say 10 people that might be the defensive coordinator immediately after Chuck Pagano's fired. But we have no idea because not a lot of people have gone and done anything other than just connect some dots. So what we will do is the rule of three podcast between offensive line prospects, between quarterbacks that are out there, between wide receivers, defensive players, like we are going to come up with some moves for this off season and we'll close the book for now. Either way. Prepared to be sad. Right. Rough bear season, but maybe, or I do think that there is legitimate reason to hope things will turn around, but I said hope, not expect. So we'll see what happens. Uh, or guys, it has been awesome podcasting with you. I'm Robert Schmitz. Danny, where can folks find you online? You can find me on the Twitter thing at Dan Meehan, M-E-E-H-A-N as in Nicholas, nine, the numerals nine zero. How about you, Brandon? Where you at, dog? I'm at NFL. Perfect. And you can find me at Robert K. Schmitz. We are the Rule of Three podcast. And until next time, guys, have a great rest of your week. Bear down, and we will talk to you later. Orange, blue and orange, blue and orange. First down, first score, first place, first of